Amen. Thank you, ladies. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 1. And we're going to continue on our theme, as we are throughout the year, of victory in Jesus. And how many of you know what it's like to maybe root for a losing team? You know that feeling? Uh, maybe a hockey team, maybe a football team. Uh, you know, you've, you're hoping your team wins, and they don't win. I spent uh, eight years in the Chicago area. I didn't live in Chicago, but in the very the greater Chicago area. And uh, two weeks from tomorrow, uh, Brother Colton and I will be flying down there for a couple of days uh, for a pastor's conference. But I, I spent about eight years there in that area. And in Chicago, they have a couple of baseball teams. Uh, they have a basketball team. Maybe you've heard of them, the Chicago Bulls. You ever heard of those? And I was there during the Michael Jordan era, and uh, that was exciting times. I don't even like baseball or basketball, but uh, I was there during the Jordan era, and it was crazy. And I remember going to Chicago one night with a bus full of kids coming back after church the night uh, that they won uh, the national championship on a Sunday. And I did not think we were going to make it out of Chicago alive. It was insane. People would come out. You were there, I think, with me. People would come out in the intersection, shake our bus. And every time we, it was nuts. Uh, So I I knew what it was to be in a a city that had a winning uh, sports team. Uh, But we also had the Chicago Cubs. And uh, there were a lot of Cubs fans back then in Chicago. And, man, they lost a lot of games. I know in recent years, I know, I know that they won some games, but if you look over the history of the Chicago Cubs, uh, they had a lot of losing seasons. But, man, they had some loyal fans. But I praise God that I'm on the winning side. Uh, I praise God that I have victory in Jesus Christ. I praise God that I'm not holding out hoping that someday I'll find victory. But as believers, we have victory in Christ. And how wonderful that is. But this morning I want to talk to you, uh, as you'll open your Bibles there to 2 Timothy chapter 1, I want to talk about victory over the culture. Victory over the culture. So, Pastor, are you talking about 2024? Uh, I believe our message applies to our day and time in 2024. Uh, But can I tell you that culture has not just been a problem since 2024? Uh, there's been a problem with our culture since long before that. And we're going to go back in time uh, and look at the culture of a young man grew up in, a young man by the name of Timothy. And we're going to see that God gave victory to young Timothy, not because of the culture he grew up in, but gave him victory over the culture he was in. Look, if you will, here at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, And we're going to read the first 10 verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, uh, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Let me stop there for a moment. Uh, I think most of us understand, but just so we're on the same page, Timothy was not the the physical son of Paul. Uh, Rather, Timothy was his spiritual son. Uh, He was a young man that he had mentored and discipled. It goes on to say, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, verse 2, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. 
When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of hands of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Understand in verse 7, God is reminding us that we are not losers. Uh, we don't have to be fearful. We have victory in Christ. It goes on in verse 8 to say, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Can I tell you, dear friend, this morning before we pray that the victory in Jesus Christ is through the gospel. It is only through the gospel. Every person can have victory in Christ through the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? The death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He came and died in your place. He was buried and rose again to pay your debt. And through him we have victory. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word this morning. Lord, as we examine Timothy. Lord, as we think about the victory you gave him over the culture that he was reared up in. Lord, may we understand that our culture does not dictate whether or not we have victory. But Lord, may we look to you for our victory. Lord, would you help us and bless us as we look together in your word. Uh, Lord, we need you. We thank you for the victory that we already have. God, help us to see it. Lord, I pray if there be one here that knows you not as Savior, Lord, today may they know the victory that is through salvation. Help me, Lord. Amen. Hundreds of years ago, there was a hymn writer by the name of Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts asked a question in the hymn that he penned, Is this vile world a friend of grace to help me home to God? One of the lines from his hymn, several, several multitude of decades ago. And in his day, as in our day, as it also was in Timothy's day, this world is no friend of the grace of God. This world is not going the same direction that God is going. But you and I can have victory over culture. The constant enemy of every Christian is not other people. It is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when we see the world, the Bible speaks of the world, it's not the people of the world there. It's the culture of the world. It is that degradation of society because of sin. And our culture as a whole is the enemy of God. It's permeated our society, permeated our church and churches. We, we have brought in that flavor of the world. 
This morning I had Joyce a couple times. I said, hey, Joyce, can you, grab a, can you grab a mop? I had Joyce mop the hallway because we had drywall dust in the hallway from uh, Peter when he walked down and we cleaned it. And then uh, folks were coming in from outside and I asked her again, hey, can you get the mop? Can you, can you clean up? And why? Because the outside kept coming inside. And the same is true in the world today. The outside's coming inside, even in the church. But we can have victory over culture. We read here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, as God gave to Paul to pen to young Timothy. For those of you that aren't familiar with Timothy, can I tell you that Timothy was a young man who grew up in a pagan culture. Uh, Timothy did not go, grow up in a Christian culture. You know, we, we say of the Western world we have a Judeo-Christian culture. I, I wouldn't say that we do anymore. We may have at one point. I think we have uh, veered away from that culture. But can I tell you that Timothy very much grew up in a full-on pagan culture. That, that's who Timothy was. He, he grew up in a wicked culture. He grew up in the Roman culture. Uh, we're talking about the Roman Empire that controlled the world at the time. Uh, the Roman Empire that would crucify Jesus Christ, the Roman Empire that hated uh, the work of God under godless leaders like Nero. Nero who would light people on fire to enjoy the light of the bodies burning. Nero who is said that as the city Rome burned, he literally played his fiddle because he was, I believe, mentally so twisted and so perverse but that's the culture that Timothy grew up in. Uh, very similar, I think, to the way our world is going today. Probably very similar to the, the days of Noah, when men did not like to retain even God and their knowledge. The driving spirit behind that is the God of this world, the devil. Timothy was not raised in a traditional Christian home. By the way, some of you here this morning, you have decided that you can't have victory in Christ because you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Some of you say, well, if I, if I grew up in a Christian home, if my mom and dad were Christians and I would grown up in church, then it would be different. But the reason I can't have victory is because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Can I tell you that Timothy did not grow up in a traditional Christian home? From what the Bible tells us, it seems that Timothy's father was not a believer. Timothy's father, as far as we can tell from Scripture, was not influential at all for the gospel. As a matter of fact, probably just the opposite. It may even be that Timothy's father was absent. We don't know for sure, but I believe it would not be wrong for us to look at Scripture and think there's a possibility, maybe a high likelihood that Timothy lived in a home with an absent father. The very least, if his father was present in his life, his father was not an influence for the gospel and for right and for holiness. He's not mentioned at all. Timothy didn't have that godly mother, godly father. In our, our gospel tracts, everyone needs three homes. We mention in there, and I believe this, everybody needs three homes. Everybody needs to have a heavenly home. Someday your life is going to be over. Every one of us one day is going to take our last breath, uh, our heart's going to beat that last time, and you're going to spend eternity somewhere, either heaven or hell. And you need to know you have a heavenly home. I believe everybody ought to have a, a church home. And praise God for the local church. Praise God we can come together. 
but also we speak in that gospel track about a, a Christian home. And I praise God that we can follow God's plan and God's purpose for a Christian home, but Timothy didn't grow up in one of those. Timothy didn't have that traditional, if you will, Christian home that he grew up in. As far as we know, Timothy's dad never encouraged him to, to listen to Paul or to follow the Word of God. His mother and his grandmother are mentioned, the principles of Scripture. But can I tell you that Timothy rose above the culture? Timothy rose above what we would say was a deficiency in the home to become a great leader and a great preacher. And I believe a great, a great pastor. Now, it was God who gave Timothy the victory. Victory over culture. This morning, dear friend, I want us to examine some thoughts as we look at Timothy's life, this example of victory over culture. Number one, I want you to know that he had victory in a real faith. Victory in a real faith. Dear friend, if you're going to have victory in our culture today, you have to have a real faith. A real faith. I'm not talking about your mother's faith or your father's faith. I'm talking about your faith, not your pastor's faith, not your friend's faith. By the way, not your husband's faith or your wife's faith. You have to have a real faith. Timothy had a real faith. We'll only have victory if our faith is real. It'll make a difference in the way you live. Paul described, as God gave him the pen, the faith of Timothy as unfeigned faith or not fake. If I walked out here this morning, Brother Leto, and I had a big full head of hair, I mean just big, you know, wavy hair, and I got up to preach, everybody would start laughing, at least everyone that knows me. You know why? Because if I had a big full head of hair, you know the only way that could happen? It'd be fake, Brother Leto. It'd be a wig. <laughs> That's the only way I could have a full head of hair. I've got about six hairs up here is about all I have left. Uh, I thought about growing my beard long enough that I can do the comb over. We'll see. But Brother Darren's thinking about doing that if his hair falls out. But uh, so far, the Lord has blessed him with hair. I'm not sure why. I'm a little jealous. But if I had a full head of hair, the only way I could have it is if it was, if it was fake. And everybody would look and go, why is Pastor wearing a wig? Somewhere there's a picture, some of you saw it, remember our, our very first uh, couple's banquet, our sweetheart couple's banquet. How many of you remember the wig we had? Anybody remember that? Had a big black Afro wig. Do you remember that, Brother Eric? Somewhere there's a picture of me wearing that big black Afro wig, and uh, I look really good. I wish God had given me an Afro. I look awesome with an Afro. Uh, but you can look at that picture and go, that's not real. <laughs> that's not Pastor Rice's hair. That's fake. Timothy's faith, it wasn't fake. It was unfeigned. It was real faith. Christian, if you're going to have victory over our culture, you're going to have to have a real faith. A real faith. Real faith that makes a real difference in your life. I think of a man that is a Muslim that I talked to several years ago. We're a wonderful man. And I spoke to him, and I said, oh, I said, in you're, you're not allowed to in your religion to do something we're talking about. And he made the statement. He said, well, my religion says I can't do that, but, but I would do it. In other words, 
Ah, I don't really follow what I say I follow. And can I tell you, Christian, a lot of us in this room, we don't really follow what we say we follow. We don't have a real faith. We got to have a real faith. That real faith is a faith that revels. Letter A is a faith that revels in God's love. A faith that revels in God's love. The foundation for faith, the very foundation and building block of faith, understands that it begins with the love of God. As I was out trying to share Christ yesterday in the community just, just west of here, a ways, or east of here, I, a man said to me, he came, I said, oh, I'm, not re- I'm not religious. I don't believe in religion. I looked at him and said, hey, I said, you're in good company. I'm not very religious either. I said, I'm a pastor. I said, but I, I don't believe in religion like the same way you don't believe in religion. I said, you probably think I'm here to talk to you about a set of rules and how you have to set, follow a set of rules. He said, yeah. I said, that's not, that's not true religion, an undefiled. That's world religion. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that the relationship with Jesus Christ begins at the foundation of the love of God. It doesn't begin at the foundation of I got to do this or I got to do that or I got to follow this rule. The foundation is the love of Christ. And that real faith was a faith that was revealed and reveled in by the love of God. How wonderful that Timothy could see that faith as God opened up that faith through God's love. And today, the faith that we need to have, that real faith, is a faith that is revealed through the love of God. We, as we think of Timothy, we see here about Lois, his grandmother. Miss Lois, I had no idea that Timothy was your grandson. All this time, I thought Miss Lois was only 100 years old, but I guess she's, you know, a few thousand years old. I didn't even know. You, you look really good for a few thousand years old. But uh, Lois here means agreeable. Did you know that? She's so agreeable. That's you can tell. But Lois, his grandmother, a lady whose name indicated she was a woman who was pleasant, had a sweet spirit. Timothy needed that because he was going to grow up in a culture that would not be sweet and a culture that would hate that which is right and which is holy. Parents, can I, can I help you with something on a very practical, rubber-meets-the-road level? Show the love of Christ and peace in your home. In a world that is shaking, in a world that is going every direction but the right way, let your home be a place of peace. Amen. Have your home be a place where your children say, man, I just, I just want to go home. I want to be with mom and dad. I want to know that peace of home. And we see that Timothy had that. Eunice, we read about here. A lady whose name literally means good victory. Timothy had victory because he had a real faith. A faith that was revealed in God's love. Letter B, it was a faith that removed fear. A faith that removed fear. If you've never seen my dog, he's not a little dog. He's a big dog. He's a big stupid dog. And he's sweet, but he's dumb. And he's, he's, he's big. He's not dangerous at all. 
uh, unless, you, unless you're food or, or you're a, a chew toy. That's about thing dangerous to him. Or if you get between me and him, then he might be dangerous. But if you're afraid of dogs and you've never seen Yeti before and you see him, you'd be like, ah, he's going to eat me. <laughs> he's a monster. He looks like a big white wolf. He's going to kill me. But if you know Yeti, you're like, he's not going to hurt me. I, I, I can trust that big, big oaf. <laughs> he's all right. He's not going to hurt me. But that because your understanding of who he is removes that fear. Christian, can I tell you the real faith that God has for you? When you understand, when you trust the Lord, we don't have to be fearful. I, I can live in the world today and have victory over the culture because I do not have to fear. My faith removes that fear. Timothy had a faith that removed the fear. For God hath not given us, the Bible says, the spirit of fear. We read here in our passage, but power and love and a sound mind. Christian, we can have a sound, a whole, a complete mind in our world today. I don't have to be fearful. I don't have to be terrified. I can trust the Lord Jesus Christ because I have victory. How wonderful to have the victory through Christ. And I can have victory even over culture. Godly faith allows us to be free from bondage, the bondage of fear. Faith is empowering. Faith gives us the courage to take on the challenges and attempt that which is impossible, uh, to attempt great things for God, expect great things for God. That's only by faith. Only by faith. Judson Mitchell, or I'm sorry, uh, Judson, the great uh, missionary to Burma, whenever he went, he said, I expect great things from God. I'm going to attempt great things for God. And praise God, Adoniram Judson was used mightily because he had the faith to believe. Not fear, but faith. Our enemy is deceitful. The devil's a liar. By the way, he says sin is pleasurable. But you know what he leaves out? But for a season. He leaves that part out. He leaves that part out. The devil's a liar. I said that victory in a real faith is how we have victory over culture. Number two, victory in a loving family. Parents, I want you to pay particular attention to this thought as we look here at Timothy. No, Timothy did not have the traditional Christian home. But Timothy did have a loving family. And I don't want you to miss this. I don't think, I believe this ingredient we see in Timothy's life is vital, and I believe it's vital today. Timothy not only had the benefit of a heritage of faith, he had the benefit of a family where love was present. A family where love was present. Sadly, in our culture today, and you know this to be true, in North America we have a huge, a huge spike of domestic violence. A huge spike. The highest murder rate across North America, the highest murder rate for children under five is by their parents. Let us pause and think about that for a moment. That's the culture we live in. 
horrible, terrible culture. By the way, homes of believers, by the way, just because you're a Christian, doesn't make your home exempt from the challenges that face families in our culture today. If anything, it makes it more important for us as believers to make sure that we follow God's design and plans for our family, that we overcome the culture. Our family, our home needs to be a place of encouragement and love. By the way, God didn't, doesn't intend for your children to live isolated lives. The Bible speaks of us being in the world but not of the world. The answer is not just to totally remove ourselves from the world and any connection with the world because we're to be the salt and the light of the world. So if all we do is remove ourselves from the world, we're not fulfilling God's great commission. There has to be another way, and that's God's way. And I think one of the important things to notice is to, to be faithful, to encourage our children to push our children towards that which is right and that which is holy, uh, to be the right influence, that loving example. How can you have a home like that? Mom and dad, young parents, maybe expecting your first child, maybe you got some little children, maybe you're starting to experience the teenage years. How can you have that kind of home? Let me give you some truth from the Word of God. Letter A, wives, encourage your husbands. Encourage your husbands. To strengthen their faith and love. Sarah, the Bible says, honored and respected her husband. Let's stop just for a second. Time out. How many of you think Abraham was a perfect husband? Raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand, did they? You know why? Because Abraham wasn't a perfect husband. Abraham did some pretty stupid stuff. I bet there were times Sarah wanted to take her purse and smack him in the head. By the way, I think the only reason that women carry purses is so they can smack their husbands with them. How many have ever picked up a woman's purse? Man, I think they carry a, a depleted uranium in there. They're pretty heavy. Years ago, I got to share this with you, when I was in Bible college, on Sundays, my wife will tell you, or sat, Sundays, uh, my wife would have to leave the college dorm, and she'd go, and she'd be on a bus all day. She'd go pick up kids, and we'd come to church, and then take the kids back, and then, so all day she's on a bus, and, and it used to be the joke, we called them the lady worker, lady worker bags. They carried these enormous bags, because uh, they had to have everything, you know, you had to have stuff for your hair, and your makeup, and uh, I don't know, change of clothes and bricks and guns and knives, whatever they carried in there. And I remember one time uh, in a ministry meeting, uh, there was these, they, did, they did a skit. And this one guy was pretending to be a lady worker, and he had this giant bag, and he's carrying this giant bag in. And they're like, Miss So-and-so, what in the world do you keep in that, in that bag? And uh, they're pulling things out of this giant, this giant bag. And finally, in the bottom of a bag was one of the male workers. They had him tied up in the bottom of it. So I don't know what you keep in your purse, but whatever you hit your husband with, I'm sure Sarah wanted to do the same thing to her husband. I mean, whenever he said, hey, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell him you're not my wife. You're my sister. I'm your what? He did some stupid stuff. Abraham made some horrible decisions. 
Abraham uh, went into Hagar and fathered a child and then, oh, this is it. I mean, he did some stupid stuff. By the way, we're still paying for some mistakes that Abraham made today, right now. And yet Sarah honored her husband. Why? Well, because it was God's purpose and God's plan for her. And can I tell you that although Abraham made some horrible mistakes, Abraham believed God. One of the greatest examples we have that Old Testament saints were saved just as we are today by faith is Abraham. Abraham believed God. It was his faith. But in the home of Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, they had a child in their old age, uh, Isaac, whose name meant laughter. They reared a godly young man who would be a great, a great man that would be a, a great leader of men. But understand, in that home, even though Abraham wasn't perfect, we see Sarah encouraged Abraham. And can I tell you that one of the blessings that we see in Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6 is a matter of encouraging. By the way, Sarah followed his leadership, even when it was wrong. Because that was the order of, of leadership. And by the way, it was, God's, it was God's job to get Abraham straight, and God did get Abraham straight. Wives, can I tell you that one of the best things you can do is encourage your husbands. Encourage your husbands to follow the Lord. Encourage your husband to do that which is right. Work together. You're, you're not on opposite teams. I know. I know for 80 years or 70 years, however long it is, that television has been a big part of our culture. I know for over 50, 60 years, every sitcom has had a husband and a wife opposing each other, and there's been that battle of the sexes on the television. And it's ingrained so much that we think that the wife is against the husband, the husband is against the wife, but it ought not be so. Wives, encourage your husbands. Let her be. Husbands, honor your wives. Honor your wives. Proverbs 31, you probably read just a few days ago in your Bible reading schedule, if you're following along the same schedule we're on. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. You know, there are many today that complain about biblical teaching on gender roles and in the home and marriage. But many folks that complain, if we, you'd actually look at Scripture and look at God's purpose, you'd find out that God places a higher requirement on the husband as the leader of the home that he places on the wives. We see that... One of the requirements and responsibilities of a husband is to praise his wife, to honor his wife. Husbands need to provide dependability, De dependability as well. When you elevate dependability, you eliminate doubt. One of the reasons a lot of our marriages are struggling is because the wife says, I don't know if I can count him a husband. I don't know if he's dependable. I, I, maybe I'm going to have to take, you know, take some lead here because I don't know if I can depend on him. We need to give that dependability and honor as well our wives. Triumph over doubt and fear. Christian home needs to be the oasis that God designed it to be in the midst of a rapidly degenerating culture. 
husbands and wives, whether you have children or not, but especially as we think of children in the mix in a relationship, in a husband-wife relationship, there has to be that right foundation in the home. As fathers, as fathers, husbands, we're responsible to provide a, a stable and a safe home environment that stands against the tides of evil. Several years ago, we had a, a camper, a pop-up camper. I've never been in a tent trailer pop-up camper before. I found out after I bought my first pop-up camper, my wife hates pop-up campers, so I never get to have another one. I don't have a camper now, but uh, I do own a doghouse. Anybody needs to rent it out. I, no one lives in it. If you need a place to stay, I've got a doghouse you can live in, uh, unless my wife kicks me out into it this week. But bought a pop-up camper, took my wife camping, my wife and my girls. And we didn't go to a campground because Pastor Rice is cheap. And uh, I hate people. I mean, I, I don't want to be around people when I'm camping. I never understood that whole principle. I'm going to go camping, so I'm going to go get around 5,000 people. I, not me. If I'm camping, leave me alone. I don't want to see another human being. I, go away from me. I, I want to see trees and maybe the odd animal, but no people. So we went out in the bush, and we set up a, our, our camper. And just as we're going to sleep, there were wolves not far away. And you know you're in the wilderness when there's wolves. And, and then another wolf and another wolf. And, and then they found some animal that they decided they wanted to eat. And there was a wolf buffet maybe 100, 200 yards away from our tent. And my wife was not happy. She's like, oh, the wolves are going to get us. That's the wolves aren't going to get us. And you could hear them. And they're tearing an animal apart. And some animals crying and screaming. It was horrible, but it was, you know, it was, it was the wilderness. And uh, anyway, they definitely were not vegan wolves. I can tell you that for sure. But they were, they were doing what wolves do. And my wife said, no, they're going to get us. I said, they are not going. But the walls are made of canvas. I said, they're not going to get in here. They're, they're, trust me, I'm here. If they get in here, I'll fight them. But they're not going to get in here. They, they have no reason to get in here. But she didn't sleep very well. And then on top of the fact that the wolves were close to us, there was a windstorm, and the whole trailer almost came down that night. So you know what I did? I sold that camper. Because I knew that she was not ever going to enjoy going camping in that because she was sure the wolves were going to get us, the bears were going to get us, the wind was going to blow us down. Now, none of those things probably would ever happen, but in her mind they might. Now, husband, a lot of times you say, well, I, you know, I... I, I, I'm faithful to my wife, but why is it she thinks you're not? What, what are you allowing in your attitude or your home that causes your wife to have that doubt? Why is there that lack of trust? We need to honor our wives, husbands. We need to follow God's plan. Let her see, parents, and I'm talking to those of you that are either rearing children or will someday, Provide guidance. Parents provide guidance. Children need direction. Don't, don't let your child find their own way. Don't just, oh, I'll just let my child do whatever he wants and I'll fault. No. You're doing a great disservice to your children. 
provide guidance to your children, nurture in the admonition of the Lord. We need to lead and guide our children. I believe God wants parents. Now, there are many influences on our children today, but I believe the major influence on, on your children ought to be you, Mom and Dad. You know, there's a very famous book written years ago called It Takes a Village about uh, the idea of society's job to raise a child. Now, I'm diametrically opposed to that mentality, but I will admit there are other influences, cultural influences on your children. Praise God for the Apostle Paul. Paul was not a relative. He was not part of the family, but there was a godly influence outside the home. That, but we have to be careful who we allow to be those influences. But as a parent, we need to provide guidance. So many, so many homes today, children have no guidance at all. All I'll figure it out. I'll just let them do what they want to do. Timothy, praise God, had some guidance. We know that because Paul references his mother and his grandmother. And, and Paul was part of that guidance system. Uh, we need to have some rules, some standards that you actually enforce. Nothing worse than going to a store and I hear a parent, oh, if you do that again, I'm going to take your toy away. Five seconds later, if you do that again, if you do that again, and I want to go to the parent and say, if you do that again, uh, I don't because I go to jail and I like being out and free. But I want to say, what are you doing? As the kid laughs at them. And there's a reason when they tell their child to do something, they, they don't care. Why? Because they know mom and dad do not expect me to obey. You need to expect your children to obey. There needs to be some rules, some guidance. I praise God, when I was growing up, I, I never thought, well, you know, I think I'll, maybe I'll decide to disobey. No, I knew that I was expected to obey. Now, did I have perfect parents? No. And by the way, you're not a perfect parent. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't give guidance to your children. Timothy grew up in a home in a wicked culture but there's no doubt some guidance and influence of his, of his mother and his grandmother here. We see it very plainly. Number three this morning, and I've got to we'll wind, it, wind it down here. The third thought about having victory in our culture. Victory in a purposeful future. Victory in a purposeful future. To overcome the world, we need to remember that God has a wonderful plan for our life and our future. God has a plan. A firm belief in future that is planned by God. We, yes, you can have victory in Christ. Yes, I can have victory in Jesus, even in my culture uh, that is so diametrically opposed to God. When I realize that I have a purpose, that my future, God has a plan for it. Paul reminded Timothy here in 2 Timothy that God had called him according to his own purpose. Verse 9, according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God had something in mind for Timothy before Timothy breathed breath. And God has something in mind for you. And God has something in mind for me. And God has a purpose for your future. Your purpose is not to float, around, to float along with the current of the world and follow and bob and weave in the culture. Your purpose is what God has. And Timothy had a purpose. 
And I tell you, letter A this morning, God has a purpose for his children. If you're a child of God here, God has a purpose for you. You are not an accident with God. God has a purpose for you. God knew about you before you were born. God has had a plan for you. God designed you. How many of you know that Pastor Rice is a little bit accident prone? I had someone a year or so ago tell me that when God made me, he must have knit me together a little tighter than most because he knew I was going to need it. Now, can I tell you that God knows everything about you? Paul reminded Timothy that God had called him. God had a purpose for his children. Timothy was raised with a desire to find God's purpose and fulfill it. Now, outside the home and the culture Timothy grew up in, it was wicked, it was perverse, it was anti-God. But Timothy grew up with the idea and understanding that God had a purpose for his life. God has a purpose for us. According to what? In verse 8, according to the power of God. God only has a purpose for his children. God has a place. God has a place for his children. Let her be. Paul reminded Timothy that God had saved us and called us with a holy calling in verse number 9. Paul had been a persecutor of Christians. He was responsible for the imprisonment of many people and death and many believers. And he called himself the chief of sinners. And yet God saved him. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, God's grace extends to anyone who will receive it. By the way, God has a place for you too. God wants you in his place. God has a place prepared for you. The promise of heaven is certain and sure. Someday when this life is over for me, I know exactly where I'll be. I don't wonder about it. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't know everything about heaven, but I know Jesus is there. That's all I need to know. That's enough. I'll be with him. That's all that really matters. God saves through the gospel, by the way. But now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It was through the gospel that Paul first and then Timothy were saved. The gospel. The gospel that saves us also offers us security. My sheep, the Bible tells in John 10, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. God replaced death. God replaced death with immortality through the gospel. I have eternal life. So, Pastor, does that mean you're not going to die? Well, this body will die someday. I've already tried to kill parts of it. Uh, the shoulder's already gone. Some other parts are gone. But one day this body will die. But I will not be gone. I will not be dead. I will be alive forever because I have eternal life. Death abolished through salvation. I can face the future with confidence, with purpose in God. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we see that as children of God, we'll live forever with Him in heaven. There's no need to fear what's to come. There's no need to fear. I can have that confidence. God has a place for us. Christian, you can have victory. There are some here this morning, and you're struggling. And you're trying to use the excuse, well, 
I just can't live a holy life in a wicked world. I just, you know, I just, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. You know, I, I didn't have good examples growing up. My dad wasn't in the home. My mom, you know, I, I came from a rough background. You know, I, I, I got saved later in life, and I just, I never had the, that experience, and I, I just can't make it. No, you can have victory through Jesus Christ. And those of you that are parents here this morning, whose children maybe are in our children's class or in our nursery, I preach this morning mainly because I want us to realize the importance that we have as parents of rearing our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in a culture very much like the culture that Timothy grew up in. But you know what happened with Timothy? Timothy went from growing up in Roman culture, pagan culture, most likely a, a pagan father, maybe a, an absent father, we don't know. But he went from that to pastoring the great church of Ephesus. Most likely an enormous congregation of believers in the city of Edmonton that young Timothy would pastor and lead. He had victory. And we say, oh, that's different. That's different. My pastor for many years until he went to heaven grew up in a drunkard's home. As a little boy, his dad, who was a drunk, left his mom during the Great Depression. It was reared in horrible poverty. Horrible poverty. No dad in the home. And you would think, well... <laughs> You know where that's going to lead. He's going to lead. He's going to do the same thing. He's going to, you know, leave his wife, and you know, he's going to follow that same pattern and get in that rut of brokenness and drunkenness and addiction. And but God gave him victory. And can I tell you, God can give you victory, Christian. There's victory in Jesus Christ. And I want us to point our children towards that victory that's in Jesus Christ. As a church, I want us to point each other to that victory that's in Jesus Christ, even in the midst of a wicked culture. Let us pray together. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the victory that is in Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that even though we are in the midst of a wicked culture, Lord, just like Timothy was, that Lord, we can have victory. Lord, I pray that we'd have a real faith. Lord, I pray if there be one here this morning that knows you not a Savior. Lord, I pray if that's the case, then just a few moments when the music begins to play, I pray you give them the courage to come this morning. You convict them of their need of a Savior even now. They would understand that they need to call out upon you because of the penalty of sin is hell. Lord, I pray they would come this morning placing their faith, real faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that believers this morning would get serious about their faith. Lord, I pray that we would understand the importance of it. Lord, I pray as well, Lord, this morning that you would help us. Lord, help us to see, Lord, the importance of realizing you have a purpose for us. Lord, we know you do. 
Lord, I think of families here this morning. Lord, some that are, think of a few expecting their first child here. Lord, I think of others with small children, others with teenagers, others with some children grown. Lord, a broad spectrum of families represented here this morning. Lord, I pray for every mom and every dad, every husband and every wife here that we would follow your purpose, that we'd honor you, we'd honor one another. And Lord, we would seek to be that anchor. We would seek to show forth Christ in the home, that stability, that lifeboat in the midst of a storm, that we'd point them towards Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for our children. I pray for the children in our nursery this morning. I pray, Lord, for the children in our children's church. I pray for our teenagers here this morning. God, that they would see the victory that's in Jesus Christ. Lord, would you work in hearts. May you be glorified. With their heads bowed, nice closed.